Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu was known for his great governance. He would often patrol the streets at night to ensure nobody was left suffering unduly. On one occasion, he was walking in the dark and he heard some children crying. Attracted by the sound, he went to the tent from which it came. Whenever he got to the tent, he saw a woman sitting before a fire. It appeared the woman was cooking something while her small children sat crying nearby. It was late for the children to have their meal. Umar stepped up to the woman and inquired, what is in the pot on the fire? She explained that she had no food to give the children and had placed the pot full of water and stones on the fire in order to give them the impression that the food would be ready. Hazrat Umar, radiallahu anhu, was distressed to hear this. He hurried back to the state store, picked up a bag of flour, meat, cooking oil, and some dates, and rushed back to the tent. His servant begged him to let him carry the load, but he refused, saying, it is my responsibility. You will not carry my burden on the day of judgment. Arriving at the tent, he delivered the provisions to the woman and told her to prepare the meal. In the meantime, the children, so exhausted, had fallen asleep. Hazrat Umar, radiallahu anhu, waited until the meal was fully prepared and the children were awakened and fed. The woman thanked him for his kindness and by way of expressing gratitude said, it would be far better if you were the Khalifa of the Muslims rather than that Umar who is not aware of the condition of his people. Hazrat Umar, radiallahu anhu, said, well, mother, Umar may not be so bad after all. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum, good morning, welcome to Saturday Morning Live, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. From Saturday Morning Live with myself, Kayyum, 
And joining me today, as always, uh, my partners in crime, and we have with us Imam Faiz Nasser, and we have with us uh, Brother Adil Zafar. Good morning, gentlemen. Assalamu alaikum, and peace be on you. Walaikum salam. Jazakallah. Thank you for having us. Good morning. Uh, good to have you. Good to have me on board today. Yes, yes, I can. It's, it's coming through now. So, so good morning. Sorry. Um, you're trying Some to sort out the heads, hitch. headsets. So good morning uh, again. Just talking about the weather. It's wonderful weather out there. Uh, very unusual for um, October. Yeah, so autumn. It's changing. It's changing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Just give it a few days. Yeah. Such typical of us, isn't it? Yeah. What's the first thing we talk about? <laughs> weather. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you're right. Wonderful, wonderful. Right now. It is good to have the sun um, out and about. But, you know, the sun's always shining in the studio. Mm-hmm. It is the voice of Islam. Absolutely. And uh, for for all those uh, cricket aficionados, um, you know, there's India and Pakistan playing today. We'll get back. We'll get to that at the end of the show in the sports <laughs> section. We will not start our show. I just thought England's not playing, so it's it's you know. England played last night though. Yes, one nil against Australia. Yeah. One nil. One, one nil. It's, it's one cricket, nil. yeah. No, 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 no football. <laughs> fascinating match. That it was yeah. a fascinating match. Just one nil, but. You know, we'll come to that at the at more to the end of the show when we when we talk about sport. Um, we're going to quickly go over what's happening in and around the world. We're going to be focusing on just one single topic, which is um, something that um, hasn't been getting the, the the true narrative that needs to be spoken. Um, and we're going to try and touch on that for just uh, for a few minutes or so. But the main topic um, of today's show is AI. Um, if you recall, we have been talking about artificial intelligence as a series um, where Brother Adil has been producing some fantastic shows. As artificial intelligence is becoming part and parcel, not becoming, has been part of uh, part and parcel of our life for some time. But now people are becoming more and more aware of it. Um, we're going to have some special guests who are going to be shedding some light um, on, on this topic. Uh, Brother Adil, if I may uh, request just a brief intro, what we're going to be talking about, say, from in about 20 minutes or so. Yeah, so um, the real synopsis of the of, of the program, and it's been this is the third of in, a, in a series. And if you if our listeners remember, um, we the first time we talked about this was uh, late last year. Um, so this is the third in a series, just to give you a, a taster of where we are with AI, what it means to us today, because you know this is now in in the news pretty much every day. Organizations are really focused on taking advantage of um, artificial intelligence. So so the program today is really about. This AI revolution that we're calling it, um, and the humanity's existential threats, right? So, aim is to really today is to educate you, to inspire you, to stimulate conversation uh, about the real transformative potential of AI in addressing the most pressing challenges facing the world today. And there's a lot of scaremongering as well at the same time. There's a lot of debate that's been taking place, especially um, on on Capitol Hill uh, and around the world as well, as to how do we regulate this. And uh, in this show, we're going to be uh, speaking with our guest speaker, Mihir Gore, uh, about uh, the future of AI and how we should be um, dealing with this. Fantastic. But let's, uh, bef- before we do all of that, um, let's go and have a look at what's happening in and around the world. And before I hit the the, the, the main news, everybody is aware of um, the slaughter of, of Palestinians in, uh, in, in the war that is happening in Israel. Um, uh, it's uh, it's been going on uh, for some time. This is uh, something that, uh, for some people, it's something new, but it's been going on for months. And uh, 
It's it's something His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the fifth Caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the, um, may Allah strengthen his hand. He mentioned um, in 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 his uh, Friday sermon yesterday, and and I thought, you know, his words were would be the the, the best words to to start the show with, where he said. Um, over the past few days, the war between Hamas and Israel has been ongoing, due to which citizens on both sides, including women, children and the elderly, are being killed without distinction or have already been killed. Even in times of war, Islam does not permit the killing of women, children or anyone that is not participating in the war in any way. This is something which the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave guidance on in very strong terms. The world is saying that certain evidence shows that Hamas initiated this war and is guilty of killing Israeli citizens indiscriminately, despite the fact that the Israel, Israeli army has previously killed many innocent Palestinians in this manner. Muslims must still act according to the teachings of Islam. I'll repeat that. Muslims must still act according to the teachings of Islam. Israel is responsible for whatever it, its army has done, and there are many different ways of reaching a resolution. If war is warranted, then it can be fought between armies, not with women, children, and the innocent. In this way, the actions of Hamas were wrong. They had more negative consequences than positive ones. The consequences of all that has happened and the war should have remained limited to Hamas, and that, in reality, is what would constitute the true bravery and courage. However, now the actions being taken by the Israeli government are also very dangerous. It seems as if there is no end to this situation. The innumerable amount of innocent lives of women and children that will be lost is unfathomable. The Israeli government claimed that they would completely eliminate Gaza. For this, they have dropped many bombs. They have reduced the city to ashes. The latest circumstances are that they have said more than a million people should leave Gaza and some have indeed started leaving, thankfully. As feeble as it may be, thankfully, as feeble as it may be, the UN has raised its voice to some degree, saying that this would be a violation of human rights, that this would be a violation of human rights and it would be wrong, leading to many difficulties. As such, Israel should reconsider this order. Rather than firmly saying that this is wrong, the UN is merely making a request. In any case, the innocent who are not partaking in the war are not at fault at all. If the world considers Israeli women, children and ordinary citizens to be innocent, then the Palestinians are also just as innocent. The Palestinians are also just as innocent. The teachings of these people of the book also say that such killings are imper impermissible. If it is alleged that the Muslims were wrong, then these people should reflect on their own conduct as well. In any case, we must pray a great deal. The Palestinian ambassador to the UK gave a television interview here, perhaps to the BBC, and in response to a question said that Hamas is a militant group, not a government, and it, is, it has no connection to the Palestinian government. At the same time, he raised the question, and rightfully so, that if true justice were to be established, then such things would not have transpired. If major powers did not have double standards, then such restlessness and warfare in the world would never happen. Hence, if these double standards were eliminated, then such warfare would be eliminated. 
These are the very things that I have been stating in the light of Islam's teaching for quite some time. In the moment, people agree. However, they are not prepared to act accordingly. Now, all the major powers or Western powers have put aside, put justice aside, and are uniting in taking harsh measures against Palestinians. And there is talk of armies being sent from all directions. Images of the oppressed are shown to depict the injustices being perpetrated and false reports are showing in the media. One day there will be news about the condition of Israeli women and children in their dire circumstances. The next day it turns out that they are not even Israelis but in fact Palestinians. Yet the media does not take any accountability for this and there is no sympathy expressed for them. These people simply follow the rule of might is right. They will bend before anyone who has worldly wealth. Upon analysis, it would seem that the major players are bent on fanning the flame of war rather than putting them out. They do not wish to end warfare. After the First World War, the major powers created the League of Nations in order to bring an end to wars. However, due to not fulfilling the demands of justice and in striving to maintaining its own dominance, it failed. Then the Second World War took place and it is said that more than 70 million people's lives were lost. The same is happening now with the United Nations. It was created to establish justice in the world, support the oppressed and try and bring to an end wars. However, these are all far from being reality. Everyone is simply concerned with their own interests. The average person cannot fathom the harmful consequences of the war that will result from these injustices. However, all the major powers are well aware of the grave consequences. Yet despite this, there is no intention given towards establishing justice. No one is even prepared to pay attention to this. In such circumstances, Muslim nations at the very least should come to their senses. They should eliminate their differences and establish unity. If Allah the Almighty has commanded Muslims to, a better, to better their relations with the people of the book by saying, come to a world equal between us and you. The Holy Quran, chapter 3, verse 65. And this is referring to the, to the belief in God. That Then why is it that Muslims who have all the same creed cannot put aside their differences and unite? They must ponder over this and establish unity. This can become the means of eradicating disorder from the world. They should unite and raise a resounding voice for the fulfillment of the requirements of justice and fulfilling the rights of the oppressed. Wherever they may be, if they unite as one, then there will, be all, there will also be power behind their voice. Otherwise, these Muslim governments will be responsible for the loss of innocent Muslim lives. Otherwise, these Muslim governments will be responsible for the loss of innocent Muslim lives. These powers should always remember the guidance of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that both the oppressors and the oppressed must be helped. This important point must be understood. May Allah Almighty grant Muslim governments reason and understanding and enable them to unite and establish justice. May he grant reason and understanding to the world's powers so that rather than leading the world to destruction, they try to save the world from destruction. May their purpose not be to satisfy their egos. They should always remember that when destruction comes, their own powers will not be safe. We all, all we have is the weapon of prayer, which every Ahmadi should now use more than ever before. May some Ahmadi households in the Gaza Strip were destroyed. Uh, may Allah Almighty keep them safe. May He keep all the innocent and oppressed safe. May Allah the Almighty grant understanding to Hamas 
so that they do not become responsible for the cruelties inflicted on their own people, nor should they submit injustices against anyone. If they are compelled to fight, they must do so according to the commandments of Islam. Enmity for another nation should not lead us away from acting with justice. This is the command of the Almighty. May Allah the Almighty enable the major powers to establish justice on both sides and thereby establish peace. It should not be that they lean towards one side and thus usurp the rights of the other side. May they not commit injustices and cruelties. May Allah the Almighty grant us the opportunity to witness peace and security in the world. You know, it's been so long. I've I, the 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 words when 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 I heard His Holiness's sermon yesterday, in, in, in when when he specifically broke away from the normal sermon and said that there is this special event I want to talk about and 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 request prayers from all the uh, for, from everyone mainstream media has been giving this this perspective and in the within the western world that we're living in that Israel has the right to defend itself the question is nobody has ever said they don't the question always has, Palestinians have a right to their own home. But when you say that, you're committing a crime. When you say that, you're automatically assumed by the other that you're talking about the wiping out of Israel. Mm. And that narrative needs to change. As His Holiness so clearly said, there are atrocities on both sides. The job of the mainstream media is to give a balanced perspective. Mm. Yet, it just isn't happening. I mean, briefly, brother um, Adil, what's your, if, if I may, what's your comments? What's your take on this? So, uh, I was reading um, one of the one of the newspapers, and uh, it's. Uh, I want to quote something here from the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, give innocence chance uh, of life. Um, the paper, one of the papers, is carrying uh, a plea to Israel from the Archbishop of, of Canterbury that the sins of Hamas are not borne by the citizens of Gaza. And and he says that it's one of the one of the uh, number of senior figures warning that the evacuation order would have devastating humanitarian consequences. This is where Israelis basically is saying to 1.1 million people to move to the south of Gaza. Um, and the the where I struggle with this is, and the first and foremost is that my thoughts and prayers are go, go out to um, the people that have been affected by these atrocities on both sides. In Israel and in and in Palestine and in Gaza, um, and and it's it cannot be justified. Um, Hamas, um, what they've done, cannot be justified in terms of the atrocities they've committed on civilians. Um, and the, uh, however, if you then look at the consequences of this, is is borne out by the people of Gaza, the innocent people of Gaza. And where I struggle to comprehend the actions of certain Western countries 
is instead of um, trying to calm the situation down, to, uh, they are simply escalating this now. Mm. And I don't see, um, I don't see, um, and His Holiness has uh, uh, stated about the role of the UN, I don't really see the UN having any voice whatsoever or credibility in this case. And in fact, if you cast your minds back to the last 40 years, whether it's the Gulf Wars um, or whatever's happened in Iraq, um, you know, the UN has been completely you know, powerless to do anything. And unfortunately, it is, it is the same uh, case here, where even the humanitarian agencies are at risk of being killed um, in, in Gaza. Right. So there is a complete, um, I would say, merciless um, killings from the from the Israeli military. Right. Um, when it comes to um, uh, justification of using force rather than using it against the militant group, it's being used against everybody. So so I just I struggle with I, I struggle with that. It does not mean that I don't acknowledge and I don't accept the the atrocities that have been committed by Hamas, but at the same time, we can't be blind to the fact that you are actually ethnically cleansing um, a whole um, area. And um, I just, I just, and those words from His Holiness are resonating in my in my, in my head. And I was listening to it yesterday. We really need to take time to step back from this. Otherwise, the consequences are going to be immense. I mean, I was listening to a clip yesterday of the Amir of Qatar, and he's basically said, unless this stops, I am going to stop the supply of gas. Well, right? you see, okay, so, I'm so glad you said that. Ursula von Leyden, October 2022, when Putin said, we're going to cut food, water, we're going to cut... Um, supplies hmm. to Ukraine straight away she from on behalf of European Union October 2022 hmm. this is a war crime yes hmm. this is a war crime yeah gas uh, water electricity and food has already been stopped in Gaza for, and, for, and, a, for a long time yes yes and they still debating Mm, over whether. whether it is a war crime or not, but yet when Russia does it, mm. the law is different. Yeah. So the question does come to mind, the double standards that His Holiness is talking about. Mm. Why is it that when it's them, and why is it that, I try to understand, why is it that Ukraine has a right to defend itself, but not Palestinians? Mm. When, a Ukraine, when a Ukrainian fights against aggression... He's a freedom fighter. He's fighting for, he's defending him as his land. When a Palestinian who has been occupied, not, we're not saying that. That's, that's the, the, the international law says it. You know, it's, it, it seems that it really does come down to, you know, when, when that, uh, that news presenter, whether it's deliberately, intentionally, God knows when they said that, well, it's okay for the Ukrainian to defend themselves because they are civilized. They look like us. They're Ukrainian refugees, and Palestinians look different. So maybe the narrative is different. But then, okay, if the narrative is different, then you need to accept that that's a racist narrative. Mm. So accept that it is bigoted and racist. Mm. And forever the mainstream media are justifying. And so look, just say, no. 
And for some reason, in our country, our, our leaders can't answer a simple question. You know, I, I, it's like, is Israel breaking international law? Well, it's not an answer we can give at this moment in time. It's a yes or no question. I was listening to Emily Thornbury, the Labour um, uh, the, the, the Labour MP, and when she was asked this question, um, I think it was in BBC, and she she just couldn't say no or yes. Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, was asked the same question. Are they breaking international law? They couldn't give an answer. The answer is yes, they are. But what we're going to do is we're going to discuss and, and, and you know, you encourage negotiation. But what's, what's there to discuss? But this is the point. No, but the, 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 from so their why, point that, of view. That's why they don't have an answer, because they can't say yes and say, we'll discuss and come back to you, because that's already putting them in, 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 in the bad books. Yes. But the thing is, it's, 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 it's also the general public that needs to, you know, they need to wake think, up. Think about yeah. what is being fed to them, right? It's not just you hear and whatever you hear, you you act upon or you believe, right? That's why we always get told to look into matters, study yes. for ourselves to see what's right and what's wrong. And that's where the general public or everyone should sort of wake up and voice voice for whatever they think is right may that be you know or vice versa but generally that's why the, the you know in the in the in the friday sermon and the text that you just read out uh, the quote of the uh, the hazim uh, masrur ahmed the you know the current world head of the amdi muslim community he clearly says that in such circumstances muslim nations at the very least should should come to their senses mm. Right, because it's 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 the teaching of the Holy Quran. It's the teaching of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu that we should number one unite with each other as Muslims, and number two we should unite with the people of the book, that's Christians and Jews, right? And whatever the circumstances are, whatever the <coughs> situation is, and it's been a long time. It's not just something that started a week ago. This has been going on for about forty years, mm. right? So Muslim nations also, they they can be the bigger brother, you know. And sort of step step into the situation and try to, you know, diffuse it rather than just, you know, escalating it. The the, the encouraging sign is, I think Muhammad bin Salman said, yes, that yeah, you know, Muhammad bin Salman has been vocal. Qatar, as brother Adil said, has been vocal. Erdogan has been vocal. Vocal, yeah. A lot of the Muslim countries have become a lot more vocal mm. because this is one issue, irrespective of their differences. They do kind of unite on. Yeah. So instead of unity verbally, mm. physically, yeah. you know, the King Abdullah is, is a Jordan. He's he, even he, you know, has, has expressed his concern. In Europe, only Norway, only Norway and Ireland are the only two countries mm. who have said what Israel's doing is wrong. Mm. And this is what this is. This is the double standard of it. Yeah. You know, I was going through Twitter and I came across Madiasan, you know, the, the yeah. commentator. He, he said, Israel is dropping in less than one week what the U.S. was dropping in Afghanistan in a year. Let me say that again. Israel is dropping in less than a week what the U.S. was dropping in Afghanistan in a year in a much smaller, much more densely populated area where mistakes are going to be magnified, said Mark Galasco, a former UN war crimes investigator. Mm. Yet, our leaders in this country are still justifying 
whether uh, whether it's a war crime or not. Mm. And then this morning on BBC, they were talking about that the Israelis have told the Palestinians to go south. Well, a truck. This is not. This is alleged, and it's not confirmed yet. But there's video footage of it, and uh, a, a truck full of women, children, and elderly mm-hmm. that was going yes. towards the south mm-hmm. was bombed. Mm. And you know, and and the BBC journalists they didn't show the images, but they they said it wasn't something that they. they mm. It was devastating. You know, women um, hugging their children when they're just blown up. That's a war crime. Yeah. But they're not saying when they ask Israel, and they're saying, "Well, we don't know about it." How is it that some of the some of the most sophisticated mm. weaponry and 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 radar systems in the world that a country has, and yet they don't know what their own army, who their own army has bombed? Mm. If it's a war crime, then say it's a war crime. Hamas released a statement yesterday, an 18-minute statement. Not a single mainstream media has covered it. Mm. Whether they are justifying their action, whatever they're saying, yeah, it is irrelevant. Yeah, they have released a statement. Say so. You know, it's it's. Th- there are so many. Um, there was uh, th- there's an Israeli woman who was released by um, the the members of the, the of the Hamas Al Qassam, and she was uh, she had two children, and she says the resistance fighters provided me with clothes to cover myself, and on my way back from where I was arrested. And a Qassam fighter was carrying out one of my children on his shoulder and I was carrying the other when they escorted her and her children. Mm. She's an Israeli. Yeah. But yet, the, 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 instead of saying, well, this did happen, they're looking for ways to debunk it. To mm. say, no, this woman was a plant or is rubbish or is a lie. Yeah. So whenever there is a positive story, you know, it's it's not looked upon in a, uh, in, in a positive way. And... You know, it's it's um, th- there is a there is a um, th- there is Remy Kanazi who is a a, a, a poet and a writer. Um, uh, he's Palestinian. Um, I'll finish the segment off with what he said. He says, "Calm is when Gaza is bombed, when Janine is invaded, homes are bulldozed, journalists are shot in the neck, ambulances are attacked, schools are tear gassed, and Palestinians are massacred." Calm is shattered when Israel is attacked. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to go on to our main topic of the morning, which is artificial intelligence. Um, and uh, it will be led by our brother Adil. So do stay tuned. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. It's going to be a very interesting next hour. Um, if you want to contribute, if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. 0208-687-7878. Or you can join us on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back after some brief messages. Allah, Allah. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live with myself, Kayoum, Brother Adil, and Imam Faiz Nasir. 
No, I didn't forget your name. I just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to see what the pause, the look on your face. But getting on to the main uh, topic of the hour, artificial intelligence, if I may request, Brother Radil, um, uh, to, to let our listener know what is it that we're going to be talking about and who we are going to be inviting on to, to shed some um, light into this topic. Thank you. And uh, again, good morning uh, to the show, everyone. Um, so I'll be hosting the next hour, hour and, and a bit, um, where I'm obviously joined by my two compadres, um, Brother Cube and Brother Fies. So so um, hopefully uh, we're going to be talking about a refresher, I guess. We're going to go through a refresher of, uh, of AI. Um, and um, obviously over the last 12 months, um, the world has seen an unprecedented rise uh, in the use of artificial intelligence. Uh, some call it the next industrial revolution. Um, and we also have a special guest that's going to be joining us very shortly, and I'm going to be introducing them. But I want to give you a bit of background. Um, Elon Musk, everybody know who, who he is. He's the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX. He's basically said mm. um, he's expressed concerns about the potential risk associated with advanced AI. He's warned that AI could become a fundamental risk to the existence of human civilization and advocated for responsible AI development. Bill Gates, co-founder of, of Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates has stated that both the potential benefits and challenges of AI, he believes that AI will make life more productive and creative, but has also emphasized the importance of addressing ethical issues such as job displacement and bias. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, um, uh, has has stated, has been more optimistic about the possibilities of AI, especially in areas like virtual reality and social networking. He also acknowledges uh, the need to address concerns like privacy and misinformation. Um, Vladimir Putin, the, the president of Russia, has highlighted the strategic importance of AI for Russia and the need to maintain leadership in the field, he emphasized the significance of AI in areas of defense and geopolitics. So this being the third in a series of, of shows uh, where we've been discussing artificial intelligence and its impact on uh, humanity's existential crises it faces today, um, including climate change. In today's show, um, we're hopefully going to be um, inspiring you, educating you, and stimul- stimulating some conversations. So, really, encourage our listeners to 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 call in. Um, so, with that background in mind, um, joining me today to discuss uh, this is my good friend and colleague, and and a regular guest to our show, Mahir Gore. Welcome, Mahir. Hey, Adil. How are you? Yeah. Good to have you. Um, Mahir, a bit of background about, about Mahir. He's a, an IBM Distinguished Engineer, uh, and uh, he's the SAP uh, CTO and Global CTO for Sustainability at IBM, um, who, and has a specific interest in sustainability and ethical AI advocacy. So so welcome, Mahir, to the show, and would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Mahir Kaur. I'm a long-term IBMer. I've been with the company for over two decades. I'm a distinguished engineer. Originally started out as a developer, a programmer, and now I look after uh, enterprise architecture across uh, the UK and Europe. Great to have you on the show again, uh, Mahir. Really appreciate the time you're spending with us. Um, so my, my, I'm going to, you know, before we dive straight into the topic, uh, Mihir, would you explain to the listeners 
what AI is and what has happened in the last 12 months that's caught the attention uh, of all industry and technology leaders um, today. Yeah, well, this is a, this is a fascinating topic. And I think you have to be under a rock somewhere, but there's so much uh, headlines that's come out in the last 12 months, especially around AI and the concept of GPT, or I'll come on to that in a minute, but the idea of uh, transformative engines, um, modules that take on large volumes of data and allow you to have an interaction to, with a bot to give you information at your fingertips. Uh, far more uh, uh, faster and smarter than we've ever seen before. But let me just step back a second because the journey towards uh, AI has been a, a long journey, over, over 40 years, in fact, 40, 50 years. Um, in fact, um, going back to the 1940s, Asimov came up with the first rules of robotics and uh, you know, there was conceptual at the time. But then the real thing that kicked off in the early 50s when we started to see you know, uh, concepts around uh, computer modeling, computer science taking off. We've heard about Alan Turing and the Turing test. So the Turing test is quite a famous test where, for example, if you were to have an interaction with a, a, a computer and uh, if you couldn't discern uh, a computer from a human being, then that computer would pass the Turing test, for example. Um, and there are many other uh, milestones along that journey with rule-based expert systems and machine learning and deep learning and so forth. Uh, 1980s, uh, we saw advancement of um, uh, AI through neural networks, for example, vast array of networks to share information, compute knowledge at speed. And then you had Deep, uh, deep Blue in the 1990s, which uh, you know, defeated world chess champion Gary Kasparov um, in, the, in the chess game back in 1996, I think it was. And then um, there was a period of time in the late 90s, early 2000s, we called it AI Winter. When while the uh, the concepts and the, the theory was not available, the compute power was not available. Uh, that that was something because of the limitations of the uh, vast amount of storage required to hold vast amounts of data. But things changed around the late 2000s. This what we call the AI resurgence, and that kicked off what we call deep learning. And in, in I think it was about 2010. Uh, IBM uh, had a, a solution called Watson, and you might remember a, a game show in the US called Je- Jeopardy, where the, the, uh, there was a game show with the computer versus humans, and to get the question to a, run, a bunch of answers. And Watson was able to play that game and defeat uh, uh, the, the champion at the time. And that was a milestone event as well back in early 2010. Uh, since then, of course, there are lots of other progress has been made. Uh, in particular, the vast amount of data that we're generating. All of us are living digital fingerprints. Everywhere we go, we've got location data. Our smartphones are leaking data all the time, whether we like it or not. And we're often voluntarily giving data away in social media. So this amount of data is vast and heterogeneous and proliferate. And, and now what's happened is that this information now made available to deep learning models. Uh, these are algorithms that can now uh, scan vast amounts of information uh, images, audio, text, and now we're into this world in the last 12 months, you've probably heard generative AI has kicked off, and where you have this conversation with a ch- uh, chatbot like GPT, for example, or, or a Microsoft uh, Bing even, where you can start to get information really quickly. Uh, you have to be a little bit careful, we'll come on to that, but generally speaking, it is quite fascinating to get that uh, experience uh, right now. Okay, thank you, Mahir. Um, just going on to um, a bit more uh, into the conversation of AI, um, 
Meher, uh, do you see AI playing um, a part in what's now been called as the next industrial revolution? And I was talking to, to my brothers uh, before the show, and I was trying to explain how the last industrial revolution, what impact it had on humanity. And now we are hearing this word again, where this could have you know, existential um, impact on humanity itself. How... How do you see that and how should one treat this shift that could affect our, our day-to-day lives? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, we've, we've been through multiple sort of iterations of uh, technology revolutions over many, many decades again. But just going back to the Industrial Revolution in the 17th, 18th century, where we sort of, you know, put together uh, the cotton mills and the, the, the industrial um, steam engines to, to improve uh, productivity. Uh, obviously, it drove uh, the imperial you know, British Empire in many respects, but it, it also generated vast amount of automation uh, in terms of productivity, in terms of mass mass produce of you know textiles, food, um, uh, engineering, transportation, uh, and those those possibilities are driven through uh, uh, very focused automation across industrial practices. And now here we come towards Industry 4.0. So Industry 4.0 is the fourth generation of industrial automation that's going on at scale. Um, and we talk about this in the context of devices. For example, if you were to put a solar roof on your house, so if you put a, if you buy an electric car, or if you have um, a, a, a smartphone, for the, a device at the edge of an, uh, a, a bit of technology, at the end, end of a, a supply chain, for example, or even in the assembly line in factory. These devices all over the place, and these are now feeding information, um, you know, streaming data and in real time. And the idea is to capture this data, even if it's intermittent or even if it's uh, high volume. You have to capture that data so you can start to understand how to use that information properly to automate processes as much as possible. So the industrial order zero is about automation, about intelligent decisions on the back of high volume data sets coming through to drive decision making. So we look at AI. Because of the sheer volume of data that is out there, you know, we're talking petabytes and petabytes of data, so you, it's, not, it's not humanly possible to, to understand that data and con- you know, conclude on that data and drive insights. So you have to automate that. And that's why you have these algorithms called machine learning, which is a, a mechanism of, of understanding vast data sets to draw, draw conclusions from that data set. And there are subdomains of machine learning, like deep learning, and more recently, of course, um, Generative learning as well, generative AI, which is a subset of uh, machine learning. So that's how you start to uh, understand what the data is telling you, and then it allows you to make decisions that are more accurate, more um, uh, productive, and allow you to make more productive uh, opportunities available as you start to look at that data. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful answer, Mahir. Mahir, first of all, Thank you so much for being part of this program this morning. Uh, it's wonderful to have you, and there's so much uh, information that you're giving to us, to the listeners. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. But in general, you know, if you look across the board, there's a lot of scary things uh, that are being said about AI in the media, uh, you know, and all over the all over the world. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the positive things, or what are some of the uh, advantages? one can uh, attain from AI technology? Yeah, I think this is really interesting. I mean, we talk about automation and we talk about industry. 
Uh, for example. Um, definitely there's opportunity to improve uh, vast areas of industry. So let's take healthcare, for example. You know, we talk about cancer treatment, uh, and one of the big challenges in cancer treatment is the amount of imaging required to determine if someone's got skin cancer or whether they've got a tumour growing, in, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. which is beyond, you know, it becomes life-threatening. The ability to scan image data at volume at speed and come out with a a prediction that mm. this particular tumour is uh, not benign, it's dangerous, it has to be dealt with, yeah. or disease detection, or even things like protein sequencing. Uh, for example, uh, Google DeepMind released alpha protein, alpha alpha type uh, algorithms um, for protein manipulation. So that was a type of AI algorithm that was used in healthcare to come up with really in insights that mm. we hadn't seen before. Right. Similarly, in education, uh, the ability to uh, deliver education uh, in, in remote locations, using devices, you know, adaptive teaching, ability to provide micro-learning, yeah. uh, this is, again, another use case. There's many, many use cases. There's yeah. positive things we could do with society. Yeah, but you know, Mahir, just just to follow up on that one, you know, so at times you go on, uh, let's say, ChatGPT, and you, you know, you ask, ask ChatGPT to generate an email or a letter or uh, you know you know a script or, or some sort of uh, essay or whatever you you're writing on ChatGPT or you're asking it to generate uh, you do feel that you have to sort of read what it has generated and see for yourself uh, what's right and wrong and then sometimes you still have the the urge or the need to modify what's been generated from ChatGBT. So just just a moment ago, you, you talked about, you know, AI being used for cancer research or uh, AI sort of helping uh, doctors to identify whether it's a, a skin cancer or a lung cancer and then also at what stage the cancer is in. Uh, the question is, even for basic uh, essays or script writing, you have to sort of recheck um, you know, the text which has been generated and you have to sort of modify it according to, uh, you know, what you do. You sort of have to pick and choose. So that's just, that's that's on a very small scale. But on a large scale where doctors are doing, using AI for cancer research or for cancer investigation, um, you know, because they are, you can't take chances on that. We're playing with people's lives. So how does that, where do you draw the, where is the fine line here? How do yeah, you... it's a very good question. So, so I think there's a couple of things. First of all, there's the important principle of human in the loop. Mm-hmm. So you can't completely delegate responsibility to AI. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think we're there yet. To the, the maturity of the technology isn't isn't where it should be. It's getting there. We, we may have a different conversation in a few years' time. But right now, you do need to have some level of governance. So, for example, uh, control around data in how used to train the AI. You know, one of the things you have to figure out is how do you train AI mm-hmm. with data that is not contaminated with bias, not contaminated with, you know, um, uh, unintended bias or even uh, unconscious bias, but even things like um, multi-sourcing data. So where's the data coming from? Right. Uh, who's the or, you know, who's the steward of the data? Who owns that data? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things are much more transparent. You know, a lot of the issues you have with AI uh, is a lot of the uh, data sets are opaque. You don't really know where it's coming from. And so you you, know, you can't uh, trust it completely. Right. The trusted AI is a very important concept, and it's something that we, we talk about in IBM, for example. We've, we've, got, we've got Watson AI. We've also got Watson X 
governance, which allows us to control and maintain ownership and uh, transparency around the data set mm-hmm. and how it's being trained. Right. So uh, another follow-up is basically, you know, like um, uh, I was listening to this uh, uh, this interview with Mustafa Suleiman, and what he was saying is that in in the near future, within the next five or uh, five to ten years, uh, AI technology is expected to improve so much that um, a, a person would just have to tell um, AI to sort of start a business for for him, uh, and all you would have to you know sort of instruction you know you would have to give it an instruction and you would have to tell him this is how much money i have uh this is the type of business i want to start this is what needs to be made this is what we need to buy this is where the packaging is going to come from and then ai does all the phone calls it does all the research um you know in terms of retail uh where you know where where you're where you can make the most market where you can make the most profit and it would make phone calls to other ais or other companies and it would it would you know lay out a whole business for you so i know we just talked about research and cancer and doctors so if if that if that's the future and if that's where we're going to where ai is going to be completely um you know in a state where it can make decisions for us and uh you know um all the major decisions let's say then what's going to happen with all these jobs like do do we require do we need doctors in the future do we need firemen do we need police officers do we need businessmen do we even need banks um in the future or, or you know where, are we just going to be like people staying in our houses all day long what does it look like in the future what is it going to be like because it's very hard to imagine uh for someone at our level as 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 a layman uh to sort of see and sort of predict so what's like your prediction what do you, what can you what can you say about that what's what does the future look like It's a brilliant question, and there's so many ways I can answer that. At the moment, we have to be um, very cautious about the way forward. Uh, what is lacking today is the lack of regulation and transparency and oversight. So that's also one of the reasons one of the reasons why the big tech organisations are now calling out for regulation. And there was a Senate hearing in the US just a couple of weeks ago, actually, to de- you know, define the boundaries of that regulation. I still think they've got more work to do. But you know, unless there's a regulatory framework, uh, there is every possibility of you know, bad outcomes as well as good outcomes. So we do have to be very uh, watchful and mindful of where this is going. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the positives, um, I mean, let's, let's, let me come back to the positives in a second. I'll just talk about the concerns you raised. So job displacement is often uh, touted as the number one issue. It is, it is a big risk, right? But, mm-hmm. so, so one of the things you have to think about is... Um, It will go after jobs that are highly procedural, you know, uh, descriptive and uh, mechanical and often uh, text-based or literal-based, if you see what I'm saying. So if it's anything that's sort of scripted in any way, shape or form, it's likely to be automated because then you have, you know, some form of AI that can understand that uh, process as a standard operating procedure and then execute a level of automation behind it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where there's jobs, where there's creativity required in terms of not just things that are uh, innate creativity that we can do like art and you know, literature and so forth, but things like where we have to work across domains. Mm-hmm. You know, we are brilliant as human beings. We are brilliant at working across multiple domains and drawing patterns and insights across those domains. Mm-hmm. 
I still think we've got a role to play there. I don't think AI is that significant. It might get there in the future, but not yet. Mm-hmm. There is a concept of narrow AI and general AI. So we see lots of narrow AI popping up. Right. Where you see, for example, you know, the narrowest AI is a calculator, right? Mm-hmm. And you can expand it from there. Mm-hmm. But you can you can start to see the emergence with large billion data sets. The emergence of, in a few years' time, maybe a decade or so, you know, the possibility of general AI. But I don't think we're there yet. So I think we'll have, we have um, joining up in narrow areas, but I think the human being has the ability to work across the ways. And actually, we're quite creative, you know, if you think about it. If we, it, you know, there's a number of jobs that will be going because of the fact that you can automate them. Then I do also think that there will be a number of new jobs that will be created. For example, controlling uh, or governance around AI or, uh, you know, providing that level of decision-making that sits across um, AI engines, if you like. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be new types of jobs that come across in the future. We can't even think that, think about them right now because they don't exist. But I, I think I'm optimistic. We'll have new jobs, but some of the old jobs will definitely be impacted. Mm. Right. Um, good morning, Mihir uh, Kayum here, peace be on you, brother. Um, a question comes to mind, uh, and is something I was discussing with uh, Brother Adil and, and uh, Brother Faiz just before we came on air. It's a question of security. Um, I was looking at the questions that the U.S. Senate were asking the, the heads of Microsoft and all these other companies. And, and the question came to mind that when the, one of the, I think it was a representative of Microsoft was asked about the security of the information that gets kept on children and on adults. Um, and he, he asked a question, how secure is it, the information that's kept? And he said um, he'll have to come back uh, to the Senate to uh, to answer that question because he wasn't too sure. Um, security is has been and or, or is one of the key um, discussion points from, from international politics to defense, you name it. Security is is paramount in all aspects of life. Where does AI stand with security? Yeah, this is again another fascinating area. Um, I'll go back to the way AI works. Uh, AI works on the back of what's called foundation models, or often known as large learning models. And these are curated a vast amount of data sets that have been curated over many you know, months or even years um, over time, you know, collected data, as I said, for all sorts of heterogeneous sources, whether it be you know, social media, will be weather or traffic data, or even you know statistical data in the public domain, census data, and so forth. So this large amount of data, often concern, you know, often uh, tagged as unlabeled, you, know, you don't have relationships between between them. But then the foundation models are there to put it together into a what's called a lake house or a data lake house. It allows you to then uh, understand the data set in some structure. And then there's training done on it using algorithms that looks at the data and tries to draw out patterns. Now, then you have the AI engine and from the algorithm itself, this is a bit you start to interact with, whether it's GPT-4 or, or, or Microsoft, Microsoft Copilot or whatever it might be. There's hundreds of those. And the, the thing about security is if you, could, if you understand where the data is coming from, that's a very good step. If you can put governance and drop and data stewardship and security controls, that's a really powerful step forward as well. At the moment, not all regions of the world follow any of those policies. The closest we have is, for example, GDPR in the EU, right, which is a, a very strong sort of regulatory framework around data control 
you know, ownership of data, right to forget, for example, uh, the ability to, you, know, you have to be um, accountable for your data that you've harvested within the organization. There's penalties of 4% of revenue if you misuse data in the context of GDPR. Um, but not all regions are doing that. I mean, all the other regions, the North Americans or Asia Pacific or you know, the Global South, there's a lot of discrepancy around data uh, and, and governance and regulation is key to that. So to your point, security is a major problem. Uh, it does mean that there's leakage, there's a problem of bias, there's a problem of ethics. Imagine going for a mortgage claim or uh, even a high school application or a university placement, and the bot says to you, I'm sorry, you can't come here or you won't be able to get your mortgage. That's dangerous, and we need to know why. So that's why it's very important to have a complete traceability, you know, providence. So where that data came from, who trained it, how did they train it, and what the algorithm is based on to come to that conclusion. Right? And that's why the regulatory framework is very essential. Well, I'm, I'm glad you used the word regulatory framework. Is there regulation? It's, as I said, it's patchy. It's like, at the moment, I would argue that AI at the moment in this uh, kind of surge of innovation and we really, really pushing, the regulatory framework is behind the curve, big time. And we're looking for uh, leadership in this space. You know, the, the governments of the world, the institutions of the world are, are a little bit, well, quite a lot behind, actually. Uh, you might hear the Senate hearings or even, you know, arg- you know arguments in the EU or in the UK. There are data protection policies in place, but that's not enough. We need to have much more control around how this algorithm is developed. I'm more than happy for research to go ahead and you know, go into new domains. But as soon as you release an AI in the public domain, like, for example, GPT-4 or GPT-3.5, which was before that, um, if that doesn't come with a health warning, that's dangerous. It's like releasing um, a medication in the, in the pharmacy with no health warning at all, you know, no um, description of side effects. Mir, please hold that thought. We are coming up to the hour. We are going to go to the news and we will continue our discussion. So do bear with us, please. Yeah. Thank you. Um, listen, we're going, to, we're going to be right back after news and we're going to carry on uh, the conversation about artificial intelligence. So do stay tuned. Thank you. listening to the Voice of Islam radio broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day writings of the promised messiah alayhisalam god almighty has bound up belief in his own existence with belief in his messengers the reason for this is that man is invested with the capacity of believing in the unity of god a stone is invested with the capacity of flaring up, and a messenger is like the flint which elicits the spark from the stone by striking it. It is, therefore, not possible that without the flint, that is to say, without a divine messenger, the spark of the unity of God may be ignited in a human heart. It is only a divine messenger who brings down Tawheed, belief in the unity of God upon the earth and it is achieved only through Him. God is hidden and displays His countenance only through a messenger.
listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live with myself, Kayyum, Brother Adil and Imam Faiz Nasser, where we are discussing um, artificial intelligence and the impact it has on our life. It's a series of shows that we have been doing over the past year or so. And uh, we've had the pleasure of uh, having our guest, uh, Brother Mihir, with us um, over these uh, programs. And just before the break, we were actually talking um, about the security aspect um, of uh, of artificial intelligence, brother Mahir, thank you so much for waiting, um, f- uh, so we could uh, go through with the news. Um, you you were mentioning and you were giving the example um, of of a pharmacy dispensing medicine. If I if I if I could uh, request you to 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 kind of elaborate on on uh, the narrative that you were looking to describe. Yeah, as I was saying, um, the challenge today is data is uh, pervasive, uh, ubiquitous, and often um, organic in terms of how it gets generated. Um, the challenge is obviously that how do you make sense of that data into something you can action. Um, and this has been the, the holy grail for a while, but the, the way you could do that now is with these large learning models or foundation models. And with AI algorithms on top, it does give you that insight quite quickly and then you can make make decisions, what we like to say, data-driven decisions, evidence-based decisions. And that's a great principle. But as I think, the training data set, the, the, the motivation behind the algorithm, uh, how does that data get consumed and, and produced into an outcome? Now, going back to the an analogy of uh, a product on the pharmacy shelf, those products obviously come with side effects, with warnings, with uh, you know, benefits, what it's going to give you, but also things to watch out for and instructions of how to consume it. Um, and that's for our own benefit. Now, today's AI are lacking that level of control. You have benefits, which are great. We can all consume it in various ways. We don't often see the side effects. So there are unintended consequences that come through. If you have uh, you know, mass consumption of AI uh, with data sets that are unregulated, uncontrolled. So we have to put in a level of control. This is where regulatory framework is important. But as individual companies, uh, in a, every company in a way is trying to become a software company. Every company is trying to uh, harvest and own the data set that they produce and generate, whether it be a car company, a manufacturing company, a suit shop, it doesn't matter. Everyone's trying to control what they produce and then consume that data that makes benefit for them. But when they produce those goods and services, they do need to come out with uh, a description of where that data came from what the benefits are, but along with that, what are the things to watch out for, the unintended consequences. This can be societal as well as you know, in, in environmentalism, and it could even be um, you know, existential if it, if it goes to that further extent. So, Mahir, um, just taking a step back, and, and obviously you've given an example of um, how it's affecting, let's say, the pharmaceutical industry, right? So, uh, as an IBMer, as, uh, as someone who's a an adequate of uh, an advocate of um, ethical AI. What is IBM doing today um, to help its customers, its clients, and also to steer the ship? Right, because one of the attendees uh, at the um, at the um, at the U.S. hearing was also uh, IBM was attending that as well. So so how is um, IBM leading that conversation to make sure that we remain within the bounds of, of, of ethics and um, 
and also have a, a good governance around it. I know it's early stages yet. We're still learning from this and steering ourselves through this, um, call it storm, but but it's something that you know, we need to be mindful of, especially um, of what's happened with social media when it was it's completely unregulated. It was started off with a, an unregulated framework. We're now learning yeah. from that. But what is IBM doing um, in this sphere? Absolutely, and, and we've been on the AI journey for more than uh, two decades, actually, uh, since our research labs were working on, on various uh, large learning models. You mentioned Deep Blue back in the 1990s and, and Watson in the early or late 2000s, um, and that journey has continued, and so we often focus on AI for business. We are um, you know, key advocates of AI for good. We are key advocates for AI ethics. Uh, and AI control in terms of data control being fully transparent. We never own or take ownership of any data for any company. We provide services to help companies to organize their data and use that for uh, productive use and social benefit as well as uh, economic benefit. So we do look at data in AI in the round in the context of um, ethics and control and in terms of uh, governance. And so when we announced this summer our Watson X portfolio, it wasn't just Watson X AI, which is the next generation of uh, conversational AI or, you know, GPT type activity, but it's also data governance. So we have Watson X data, but more importantly, we also have Watson X governance. I mentioned this before. Governance is the piece where there is much more transparency, uh, control on data privacy, uh, explainability, uh, ability to control bias or uh, take out uh, profanity in the data sets and take out anything that's going to lead to any bias. And that's much, in much more control that way. You have uh, structured mechanisms to manage data so that you can qualify the data, improve the quality of the data, and therefore use it appropriately for the right use cases. And that's what we do with our What's the Next Story. Thank you. And I just want to um, bring back the conversation to... Um, you know, there's always there's always concerns about the abuse of, of AI, but I want to briefly reflect on for our listeners where we see um, AI could m- play a major role. And I know, um, Mihir, you're a, again a sustainability advocate within within uh, IBM, and we've brought you on the show specifically also in the past to talk about um, climate change. Um, we have heard that AI can play a crucial role in, in addressing climate change by, for example, optimizing energy usage, improving weather forecasting, and facilitating the development of clean energy technologies. Um, what's your point of view on this? What have you seen over the last 12 months? How, um, What potential AI could have and has had uh, from a climate change perspective? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I think maybe I'll just get back a second on the general issue we're facing. And this, again, this is an existential threat we're facing, all of us on the planet. We are dealing with unprecedented uh, data when it comes to the climate crisis. Uh, you know, ocean temperatures are off the chart. Uh, deforestation is unfortunately heading the wrong direction. It's, it's, it's it's scaling up, unfortunately. We've got, um, you know, all sorts of uh, extreme weather events have happened this year, whether it's flooding or extreme heat. Um, the Arctic and Antarctic ice shelves are, are melting away. We're seeing uh, summer thins or really low levels of ice cover. Um, we're not going in the right direction. As the head of the UN project, we've got the foot on the gas and heading in the wrong direction. 
Now, we're going to have to put all hands on deck to really deal with this. And one of the tools that can help us is AI. And again, with the right level of controls and regulatory framework, we can use AI to support us in our uh, battle against climate change and climate crisis. So many examples we can go into. Uh, first and foremost, things like climate modeling. So predicting using large data sets around the, uh, the frequency and probability of the impact of uh, extreme weather events. This information is useful, not only for um, you know, governmental reasons, but also you know, early warning systems. But insurance companies will love this information. You know, they can start to make decisions around what is and is not insured. And if you think about large you know, uh, infrastructure projects that are going after oil and gas, you know, I'm sure current modeling will reveal where you know, it's a safe place to invest and not to invest. And hopefully you know, they can sort of move away from that kind of business. But also think about renewable energy, how we start to um, use more uh, predictive demand supply. Uh, they, you know, people are buying EV cars, so having the ability to predict when you need to charge your car, uh, maximizing uh, energy transmission uh, to cater for uh, peak loads in demand. At the same time, we know renewables can be intermittent. So how do you build battery technology to support the backup of renewable energy? So that's another area where AI can help us, you know, not only model, but also advise and tell us where to uh, develop and deploy these technologies. Another one is around um, insulation and, and energy efficiency and how to make use of uh, energy right now in, in, our, in, a, in a residential or business uh, facilities as well. And, and last but not least, many, many examples, but agriculture is another area you know, in terms of crop management and, and reducing water usage and wastage, especially uh, chemical runoff into rivers and streams, we can start to model that using satellite data and look at ways to minimi minimize the environmental impact of, of such activities. Um, Mihir, I'm Thank you for, for, for that. I mean, I know at the last show we did, it, uh, it was all about sustainability and climate change. But if I may, I want to take it, I want to bring, or I want to ask um, about AI and what's happening in the world as we um, as we live it today, we are. If if the status quo stays the same with world major powers, and we are heading towards a third world war. I mean, you talk about a catastrophe from a sustainability point of view, but there is a another catastrophe where it's sitting on our head because wars are happening all around the world. Um, what, what what does where does AI sit with conflict? Um, what role does AI play? In, um, um, in in is in these international conflicts. Well, we we already are sitting on a cliff edge of international conflict. Um, if you think about the number of nuclear weapons we have, uh, we are able to wipe wipe ourselves out uh, many many thousands of times over with you know seven thousand nuclear warheads across the US and Russia each, and not to mention the other uh, nuclear powers as well. So we have to means and capability to destroy ourselves today. But there was this concept of mutually assured destruction with, you know, during the Cold War, for example. So it, it, it never, thank God, it never had a, another nuclear event after the atomic bomb in 1945, or the two atomic bombs. Now, we see in a situation where we have geopolitical fragmentation, there's a lot more tension in the, in the planet today in terms of uh, politics, we have at least 13 or 14 uh, wars going on, and uh, Ukraine is one, 
Israel Palestine is another one. There's so many other examples, long running, festering conflicts. And with AI in the wrong hands, it can get very dangerous. Uh, there is a temptation to open the Pandora's box of autonomous weapons, for example, where, again, because of lack of regulation and alignment, uh, there's a potential for misuse and unintended consequences where you start to not only use automated uh, AI for this uh, horrible, horrible form of warfare, but imagine delegating that to AI to make decisions itself. That's dangerous. That's why there's an urgent need for regulation and control. But it involves for all parties to sign up to it. You know, if one party does it, the other doesn't, then it's, uh, again, doesn't go anywhere. So in the, in the case of social geopolitical conflict, this is why AI at the moment has to be really well controlled and, and uh, ethical AI, AI for good. You know, basically good intentions have to, and good sense has to, has to prevail. And we have to start encouraging our leaders you know, to democratic processes to really enforce policies and controls to avoid the worst effects of uh, runaway AI. You know, yeah. This concept of escape velocity. My, we need to make sure that escape velocity doesn't kick off. My my only problem here with, with what you're saying is the fact that you're... See, you're... you're, you're your answer is based on good intention. Your answer is based on ethics, morals, values. And my fear is that we're living in a world with ethic, moral values that have no place. They're, I mean, yeah. you know, that's the reality of it. It's not that there isn't a place for it. Unfortunately, we're being governed by people who are not taking into account ethics, morals, um, and values. That's from the point of view of our governors. But is there a um, is there a desire to have ethics, morals, and values within the AI industry? Um, yeah. Who 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 wants to regulate this? Is there a overwhelming desire by the professionals to say, look, it needs to be regulated? I mean, Brother Adil started the show with Elon Musk and all these other experts and and leaders in the industry who were giving these warnings. So when a layman like me or Brother Faiz hears, um, you know, the likes of Elon Musk's giving warning, hmm. alarm bells ring. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I get your point. I, I, I totally understand and I agree that, you know, we have massive risks right now that this thing can slip out of control. We can fall off the cliff and we're into a race to the bottom uh, almost AI but, but what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Falling off the cliff. Yeah. What, what, it means that. Where where, yeah. where does that put us? In a bad place. What, <laughs> no, no, no. And then my question is, what's <laughs> a bad place? <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, so, so first of all, we definitely need control, and we do need to have um, every everything you just said is absolutely real. That is a risk that it can end up in a bad place like that. Mm. But I think what needs to happen is there is um, the individual developers, whether it's the, the machine modeling uh, AI analysts, the, the people who work in big tech, the people who work in um, one of large research projects around AI, you know, they have to think end to end about what this is going to take us to. Where does it take us? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I can scan images for cancer research. Great, wonderful. But there's another thing to say, I'm going to in a program, uh, an autonomous drone to take out large populations. That's bad. Right? We know that. So 
that's why the regulatory phase is so critical right now. You know, we're just flying blind at the moment. So how do you, how do you in, intervene? And the best way to think of intervening is one, understand the technology, don't put blind faith in it. There is there are risks already with the technology as it stands today. There's things like hallucination. So as you said earlier, double check everything you do look at mm. when it comes to GPT and please don't take things at face value, critique, mm. apply critical thinking. As individual citizens we have to do that. And then apply pressure on you know, regulatory bodies or elected leadership whoever it might be, even our corporations we work with, um, challenge from within, really ask the question, where is this going? How is this going to be used? Mm. Who has ownership of this? Who has control? Yeah. Now, we have to start somewhere, and that's probably the easiest place to think of starting, to avoid the worst, you know, worst. Um, the only thing I'm going to say is that um, in the end, we think of, of organizations, whether it be countries or corporations, everyone, everybody works in self-interest. And if in no one's interest, to have AI run away mm. out of the control of human beings. So whether you're a police state or whether you're uh, a complete uh, libertarian state, uh, nobody wants lo- loss of control, and AI offers the risk of loss of control. Mm. So it's in everyone's interest to put in some guardrails and, again, going back to the regulatory framework, to manage that risk effectively right but you know you just mentioned that we shouldn't have blind faith in 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 ai technology um but you know like i'll I'll give you a small scenario recently i i had to travel to germany to to cover the annual convention of the Amni muslim community and then uh you know there was it was taking place in germany in stuttgart and there was a particular short piece or short documentary that i had to prepare in terms of uh stuttgart itself right and um usually what we do is you know you go out you you know you type keywords in in google and you know you get some sort of pre-written articles or information um uh, on you know various things and based on that information you sit down and you creatively uh, think on how to write a script which could be uh, you know most attractive for uh, TV viewers um, but at that time because we didn't you know the project was uh, was very last minute and you know we had to go there very uh, suddenly uh, I kind of you I kind of went on AI and I you know put a few uh, keywords down and it gave me a, a TV script, a documentary script for for Stuttgart, Germany uh, and there were so many so many amazing things that were in it and obviously the, it was pick and choose I, I personally took a lot of stuff out which I didn't uh, which I didn't think would be attractive for the viewers or which I didn't think is is any useful um, but then there was other other you know there was other information that was really good. For example, um, in Stuttgart you have um, uh, it's 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 Stuttgart the city is like the father of Ferrari and Mercedes um, or Porsche, right? Uh, not Ferrari, Porsche and Mercedes. But when when we're looking at the children today, that's that's me as an adult, as a thirty year old. But when you look at children and they're using AI at the very... Uh, so basically, I've gone through the schooling system. I've gone through, um, you know, education. I'm working in a particular field. I've got a job. Um, I I know, or you could tell me 
as an as a as an adult that don't have faith uh, blind faith in AI but children these days they're getting their school articles and they're getting their school essays from AI and they they blindly just you know giving them to their teacher they just you know type a few words 500 word essay or 1000 word essay uh, AI generates it for them they just put in the printer and it it goes into submission uh, and they haven't learned a single thing or they even haven't even read the article that ai has generated for them right so when so in the future isn't that isn't that a bad thing for the children because if that's their approach already and there's no one there to guide them not to do that because the internet's available for everybody and as an adult you have the understanding of yes i even though i use ai i still have to check uh you know whether what information or choose between information that i need to use and information that i need to get rid of but whereas the children i think they're going to they're going to be in a habit of just constantly using ai and then fully relying on it and therefore they'll be submitting their dissertations or thesis or uh, essays in in school and university just blindly so in the future if that practice continues from the children that are growing like the next generation then isn't that really dangerous and in in that way are we not like you know the intellect of humankind is is isn't that going to vanish with time yeah i think it's a absolutely question i think it's something uh, i don't think our politicians or leaders or even tech leaders fully understand there is a risk of um, hollowing out our intellect using ai excuse me a second sorry just kind of off um yeah if we become over dependent without critical thinking, there's a risk that um, over time you become accustomed to using AI for everything. Um, today, people are getting away with short, sharp answers, a couple of paragraphs, a small script, maybe um, a poem, an essay, even if you're lucky, a thesis. But, you know, there are uh, language uh, indicators that say whether you... <coughs> Me, where you categorize that or whether it comes from an automated uh, robot of some kind. Um, there is every risk that this becomes habitual, and especially when this, the, the GPT experience becomes even more uh, compelling, that over time it becomes second nature. Now, there's, there's a pros and cons to that. One is that you become dependent on that uh, as a way of accelerating your knowledge, which can be you know, uh, a good thing, but also a bad thing. If you're not able to apply critical thinking and apply critical thinking across domains where you need to have diversified <laughs> your knowledge across different topics and having a network of people to help you discern what is true and not true, you're at risk. If you live in an echo chamber and listen to a chatbot every day and giving you information and just feeding your brain without any critical thinking whatsoever, you're literally becoming a slave to AI. So I do think you have to be very careful that you have to apply critical thinking. Our education systems need to be upgraded to allow critical thinking in all cases from the earliest age onwards. Ask questions, you know, the classic, you know, why, 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 seven whys. Mm. Ask that question every single thing you come across on the internet, whether it's Googling it or whether it's AI. You know, if you get to a point where you have information you're about to consume, <laughs> ask yourself, is this relevant? Is this accurate? Does this have bias? Uh, what is the impact of me sharing this information in this format? Do I need to curate it? Do I need to double check? Take extra time if you have to, mm-hmm. but don't 
please don't blindly assume that this information is uh, you know, bona fide, 100% accurate on day one. It, it is at the moment not there. I think you have to apply a level of critical thinking at all times. So, so Mahir, I just want to um, draw some parallels to this, and it's a really good uh, question, Faiz. Um, we talked about this, you know, before the show as well. If you look at um, the industrial revolution that we had um, at the beginning of the nineteenth century, mm-hmm. the impact it had on humanity. If we then look at the Apollo program, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- this was a, and there were various films that were made on this. It was a paper-based exercise, the calculations that were being done, and then comes IBM with its massive mainframe computer. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. everybody thought, right, you know, we're done, our job's done. Right, right. People had to reskill themselves to adopt to that technology. And for me, the way I see this, in a, in a positive way, that we have to adopt to this new revolution that's coming through. We have to change our skill sets mm-hmm. to how to manage this new technology. Yeah. And that means learning new languages in terms of programming. Uh, it's in terms of providing. And we need to be at the forefront of that conversation rather yes. than sitting back and saying, well, let's see where it takes us. We have to be part of that conversation mm. like we're having today that will define the governance, the rules, the regulations, the security. Yeah. We have to start debating on this mm. um, so that we can start to help create that create that fa- framework. Yeah. The, the lessons learned... Um, from from the last time this happened was yeah. with social media. Again, yeah, there are lots of videos on what was discussed in the last. Um, I guess this was twenty years ago. It was left up to the the the, the companies, yeah. right? Mm. That was a huge mistake, and that was one of the things that, that was debated. Yeah, um, that we have to start to regulate it, otherwise. This will be left to corporates, mm-hmm. right, to, to manage. And we, we don't want to, we clearly don't want to, to, to see that. Yeah. There has to be a framework around it. But, brother, you know, you, you're in the game. And, and I asked a question about, and, and Mihir answered it as well, that the professionals have a desire to regulate it. But even if the professionals do, do the governors, the people, the corporates, do they want to regulate it? Because they're two different people. Yeah. So you see, um, Mahir made a really important point about security and data and, mm. and pe- people information, right? Mm. Uh, and you have frameworks and you have laws created off the back of that. For example, GDPR. Mm. There are huge corporate fines. Uh, what other mechanism is, is there to prevent um, organizations from veering off course, mm-hmm. right? So, so you know, the, we've seen heavy fines, you know, data breaches, security breaches, in the millions, if not billions, right? Which actually affects the share price. Okay. Mm. So, so to answer your question, we can create a framework. It's only as effective as how it's been implemented and regulated. Yeah. And it's really down to not only the governments, but also corporates to actually adhere to that. And that's what we're hoping that that's going to be starting to um, uh, infuse into organizations. So, for example, IBM is taking a, a step forward in this. It's already talking about how we are not going to be holding any data, first and foremost. It's down to the organizations. But also, we're actually explaining to the to the, to the organizations is that you really need to understand what your found, data foundation is based on. Yeah. Right? Forget about the algorithms. Yeah. What are you basing it on? If you're going to veer off, mm. and we already know uh, uh, with unconfirmed surveys yeah. that organizations, users are already uh, using ChatGPT. Yes, right? of course. In an unofficial capacity. Yeah. So we have to start to regulate that. You can't let that go. 
Mm. You have to start regulating it, and organisations have to start to address it. Yeah, but even that way, even schools are going to have to come up with regulations for students, for the children, because you know, you see, children are always going to be children. Students are always going to be students, and as a student, we've all been students. As a student, you always find the easiest way out. May that be an exam or uh, an essay or uh, you know anything that you have to submit. Exactly, a student is always going to, but. from from an ethical point of view it's it's which we don't you don't want to change the habits because habits are very easily adopted and they can be very it's like a it's like a it's like a plague if you if one person has a bad habit it can very easily yeah. trans yeah. transform into other people so, but so that's my that, point. that's based on what you're saying i asked the professional what exactly is it that you're regulating hmm. So you, if you take you, schools, schools, if you're taking for example, yeah. yeah. So do you remember what I just said before? We have to start to adopt to a new way of thinking. Yeah. What teachers can't do, what the Department of Education cannot do, is ignore the fact that there is a mechanism, there is a tool out there that students can use to abuse it in order to get their papers submitted. Mm. Right? It's a fact. But so you can't ignore it. Yeah. You have to put not only frameworks, yeah. but also you've got to regulate it. You've got to start to say, well, you've used it. What do we need to do to define some tools to actually catch yeah. the the plagiarism that's taking place? Mm. Okay. Mm. So in the past, when, when we didn't have ChatGPT or we didn't have the technology, how would people plagiarize? They would actually go and look at previous theses and copy the work, mm. yeah. right? Somebody who was who would, who would have to be astute enough to understand enough information that, hey, I've seen this paper before. Hang on, you've actually plagiarized it. So we should be using that same technology to, in order to catch those out. And that's what I was saying about, let's use the technology. But it was, uh, what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, mm. look, for example, when I, I was in, when I was in school, we had this, um, we had this uh, subject uh, w- which was about uh, sports. I can't remember the exact name, but it was a physical. It was a BTEC uh, course in in school. Sports, it wasn't in college. Sports science. Sports science. Yeah, sports science. And there was this particular um, uh, uh, presentation that we had to submit. And in school, we were di- for that particular course, we were divided into four different classes. That means e- each different class had a separate teacher, right? And the teacher, let's say your teacher of class one, I'm two, he's three. We're all going to check the work of our own classes, right? Mm-hmm. And then what we as students started doing is if, because we're all in the same year, right? Then, for example, if I know that Kayum's done, his, he's already completed his presentation. Yes, okay. And he's in a different class, though. That's right, yeah. His teacher's going to check only his work. Yes. One person from our batch would take that presentation exactly the same way and, and submit it. All it would change is, you know, the presentation, right. the background right. and the colors. Yeah. That's the only thing that we would change. And we would get the same marks. But... Back in the day, I think it was more of a, it was more of a, okay, I remember I've read this before, right? Mm. As a teacher, it was more like, oh, I think I've read this paper before, that's, that's been plagiarized, yeah. right? Um, for example, when I, in the same course once, I used a word <laughs> in one of the, because it was copied and pasted. So I used this word, there was a word that was used and my teacher was like, if you tell me what this word means then I'm going to give you an A star in this particular... And I didn't know what it meant, right? And he told me, uh, because I knew that you don't know what this means at this stage, um, I know that you've copied and pasted it. And then a new thing came into... So you could just right-click now, right? 
uh, like if you if you do copy and paste an article, you can right click, go on synonyms, and just change words according to what you understand. And that's what people started doing straight after. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, eventually. We were still going on websites. We were still going on different. Uh, we were still going through different articles, even to plagiarize at that time, right? To 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 get information and paste it according to our understanding, and then we'd still be learning at the same time, right? But AI is completely different, and it, I think it's harder to even for the teachers in future, um, because AI. If we open three AI um, tabs now. And we write the same thing; it will give us three different answers, and three different people can submit the same information, just written differently, right? And it's going to be very difficult for teachers in the future to sort See, of. Okay, I, I, do you understand I, where I, I'm coming I understand, from? But yeah. I think at the end of the day, you would be, and I have to. It has to come to yourself as well. You, you'll be cheating yourself. You will not be able to deliver the same type of intellect, right? By learning, by grafting yourselves. Right, and by cheating your way through copying and pasting. But look, what, but the first thing I said is children are always going to be no, children. Which students is, are always going to be students. But it's going to come out at the end of the day, right? So if you're you're not going to continue when you're sitting the exam, mm-hmm. hopefully that's going to still continue. You're going to have A levels, yeah, have course. your degree, of course. How much it's going to show as clear as day. You can do only a certain amount of coursework and you can plagiarize. But then when you're there to actually sit the exam. How on earth are you going to get yourself out of it? Hmm. Uh, ultimately, you know, and, and this is really about ethics, and this yeah. is all about what you're as a person, what you're trying to do. Hmm. If you're trying to be clever, you're trying to be sort of get away from a particular assignment. You can probably do that once or twice, but then ultimately, there's going to come a point when you're going to be asked a subject, a question. So mm-hmm, the teacher mm-hmm. said to you, "Do you know what that that sentence means or that word means?" Yeah, you got caught out, but you, it's about. Uh, it's about ethics, right? It's about but what, introspection. What, even, but look, if you bring morality into this, right? I think the time when you guys were children, you were a bit more, you were a bit more honest, right? And then when we got to my stage, a- when a- I was, when, when I was we a were, child, when we were kids, AI was A. <laughs> artificial. Artificial. Who's going to bring age into this? No, right? no, no. So, no, no, no. You have to understand where I'm coming from. Is it's got less to do with the age, mm. more to do with morals and ethics. So yeah. I think morals were much higher. Yes. In yeah. in in your time, uh, they slightly decreased in my age, in my time. But the time that we're going to in now towards. Uh, morality is scale. decreasing. It's a diminishing scale. Yeah, right. right. It's almost <laughs> there, there it's is. Irrelevant. There's almost no morality, right? Yeah. Like for example, let's take lying. If you lied mm. to your fathers, mm. you knew that you can't lie to them. You're going to get caught out, and there's going to be circumstances. For us, it was. For me personally, it was slightly different. It was, look, just tell me the truth, and you'll be forgiven. If you bring a slight lie into it, there's going to be circumstances. So we always chose to say the truth. Now lying is 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 nothing. You just make up a story on the spot, and that's the reality. That's what you start believing is the reality. So I'm saying those children who uh, you know where morality is 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 is, is, heading. is heading away. For them, this is gold. See, this mm. is why I asked Mihir and I asked you the question because mm. you, you guys, you guys, you gentlemen are moral. Your ethic, I've I know you for so long. Yes, but pick up and and join that with what 
Faiz just said, the generation has changed, the mm. attitudes have mm. changed, the meanings of words have changed, the way people, are, are, the people who lead us have changed. Yeah. And that's the fear that AI can't be used, it can only be abused. That's a that's a very heavy statement. It is, and but, and but, but as think, a layman, I, think, I can't think the depth of things like you guys do because you but, work in the industry. Yeah. So so there's always so somebody here. I'll, I'll uh, yeah. Let, I'll, I'll let you answer that that okay. question because I have yeah, a, I have a specific a uh, opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll let you answer that. No, I think we have a reptilian brain and we have a, a, a higher brain the cerebral cortex. We've developed a higher brain over a millennia, and usually the higher brain uh, trumps the lower brain, and no pun intended, right? So the higher brain <laughs> is supposed to... I, I just got that. I'm still alive. You have a brain. The point I'm making, the, the point I'm making, the point I'm making is that, in, in general, uh, it, we work in our own self-interest, whether it be physical, mental health, uh, uh, physical health and so forth, economic health. We do things in our own self-interest. We have layers of inclusivity, which is ourselves, our family, our, our social group, our community and, and nation state, whatever it might be. So we try and protect those layers of inclusivity as much as possible. But anything that counters that through our misbehavior or, or our, um, our wrong decision point, you know, taking a shortcut and not really being thoughtful about the consequences, is, is something that will have an effect. Now, the, the issue we have is with digitization and technology like this, you can get away with more in, in, in quotes, right? In, in, it looks like that anyway. But there are downstream implications, right? There's reputational risk, there's implications around the fact that you've left a digital breadcrumb that can come, come back and bounce, or, you know, hit back at you and bounce back. So we have to be very careful about how we operate on the web, how we operate in our social lives and personal lives. Um, there will always be consequences. It doesn't have to be on day one. It can come later on. And we might have the illusion of getting away with it, whether it be plagiarizing or whether it be uh, you know, answering a question on the fly uh, through GPT or something, where we haven't really thought about We can't be honest to ourselves in that respect. But there's consequences. Because sooner or later, uh, you know, the buck stops with you as an individual and... They will, like you said, there will be consequences. It would be unpleasant, maybe, but it's very rare that you get away with you know, scot-free completely. I think that's not going to happen. I think there will be an impact. So my view is, anyway, it's better to, to, to hit with a straight bat, be honest, uh, work with ethics, work with uh, a level of uh, personal morality, at least, around everything we do in our personal lives, the professional lives, uh, everything around our communities, so we can help each other. What's the point of going through life with, you know, shortcuts after shortcuts after shortcuts. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind, you know, for your family and kids? I don't know. Maybe I'm going on to a rant, but I just think that our characters are defining how society shapes in the future. So we just have to be upstanders, uh, not bystanders, but upstanders, and make sure we yeah. support the right thing to do. <laughs> Wonderful. Th- th- thank you, Mihir. And I think uh, as we're ending uh, ending towards the show, um, uh, Faiz, I want to I want to turn to you. Um, uh, in terms of the Islamic perspective, I think um, it's really important to understand what does Islam say about um, the artificial intelligence. Um, so, we're really good to get your perspective. I know, you know, from, from where I see this, um, obviously, there the perspective can vary. 
from scholars and practitioners, but there are some general principles and considerations, right, that um, can be drawn from, you know, the Islamic teachings. So it's important to get, you know, the, the Ahmadi Muslim community's perspective uh, on artificial intelligence. Uh, what does the, the Quran say? Um, what, are, what do we know about this and how should we, how should we, what are the key considerations for us? I mean, uh, the the key thing to um, to remember is that His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the current head of the Amdiya Muslim community, he's uh, he's always told us that uh, there are benefits to 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 things, and you know there are um, and you should benefit from them, and there are disadvantages that you should try yourself uh, try. To stay away from, uh, just as the internet, you know, there's advantages of the internet. You can go on it. You can get information from there. You can learn from there. You can um, you can use it for good. Um, but then there's also evils of the internet, and you know, evils that can you know harm your morality, har- harm your ethics, and uh, so what, so f- uh, so on and so forth. But in the same way, AI has has its benefits. And, you know, you can, it's obviously more efficient in terms of time. Uh, you can go use it. But then again, like Mahir said before as well, that you need to draw a fine line on what you use from there and what you t- sort of leave. You have to pick and choose and you can't have blind faith in it completely as well. So there will be different schools of thought Islamically. Some people may say, no, you shouldn't use it at all. Some people, some some would say, yes, you can use it and you should use it, but you have to be... Um, you have to be very wise in terms of what you want to pick and what you want to leave out. And in the in the Holy Quran, we find, um, and it's from Surah Fatiha, which is the first chapter of the Holy Quran, uh, uh, Allah teaches us a prayer, which we recite uh, in every, um, you know, raka, in every uh, rakat of of our prayers five times a day, which is Ihdina Sirat al-Mustaqeem, which means... It's the first stage of the, of the Salat yes. prayer we do. Uh, which 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 means that uh, guide us on the path, which is the the right path or the righteous path or uh, the middle path. Um, so you don't want to be too extreme on one extent, and you don't want to be too extreme on the other extent. So in that sense, in that sense, um, gaining knowledge is what Islam teaches us. The Holy Prophet Sallallahu has told us peace that and blessings of Allah be upon peace and blessings of Allah be upon him that even if you seek knowledge, even if you have to travel all the way up to China and with AI, yes, you can gain knowledge because it's an easy way of gaining knowledge but then again, there are you know, tons of books and libraries that you can go to and gain knowledge from. There's tons of people that you can meet and learn from their experience. There's 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 so many different ways of doing research, etc. Uh, which which you can get an essay, a thousand word essay, in 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 two minutes from AI. But you know, if you spend like even one hour on writing that essay or meeting different people or interviewing different people, you actually gain so much more in that one hour than just getting a uh, getting an essay in two minutes. So, like like I said at the beginning, there's advantages and disadvantages of AI. So, um, you know, if, if I may use the word easy, I would like the word progressive. And I think that's one thing, one of the beautiful things about Islam, Ahmadiyya, is the, the the narration of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he tells Muslims to go and seek knowledge in China. What, what that means is that at that time, supposedly, and there are some interpretations of it, that China was at the peak 
of 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 research and intelligence and 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 uh, um, and knowledge. Hence, why it was yeah. used as an example. That's one way of looking at it. Another way was that the means of travel yes. were very weren't so great, or they weren't the way we see them today. Yep. So, traveling to China at that time was a huge uh, matter of hardship. Yep. Right, you would have to go over mountains, you would have to go over ice, you would have to walk and walk and walk, and you know, uh, whenever you're traveling, it's um, even in in in, in Islam. It's months of travel. It's months of travel. And even in Islam, when you're traveling, even your prayers are uh, reduced half. to half, yeah. right? So which means that, yes, there is a hardship of travel. and But the essence of what the Holy Prophet says is beautiful because he says that seek knowledge, even if you have to travel all the way down to China, even then in that case, you should try your best to seek. Me- meaning seek, that you have to bear the hardship. Yeah, hardship. Because exactly. knowledge is the, the, the destiny and exactly. it is worth it. And But in Islam in general... Islam is a very progressive religion and it always encourages us to adapt to progression exactly. and development. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's important that, that our listener understands that a lot of people sometimes think, oh, Islam is a primitive ancient religion. It's not. Islam is forever progressive. Islam teaches us to, um, to adapt and adopt exactly. uh, a progression. But as Imam Fai said, it is up to the individual uh, and as guidance given to us by His Holiness, that everything can be used and everything can be abused, and that are, uh, that is up to the individual to make that choice. Exactly. So as we um, as we, but just before sorry, you go, just before you continue, mm-hmm. one thing that is very important here, which was which I was coming towards, is that the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi said that um, it's it is compulsory on every Muslim man. And or on every Muslim woman to gain knowledge. Hmm. That every Muslim man and every Muslim woman has it's it's incumbent on her on him to gain knowledge, right? So that's something that you should always remember as a Muslim that yes, there are easy ways hmm. and there are a bit harder or longer ways, hmm. but and then the first quote, which was, um, even if you have to travel to China, so you have to bear the hardship and you have to make sure that you're, uh, you know, the, the Holy Prophet in another occasion, he mentioned that uh, a Muslim is a student or is a learner from the day he's born till the day he passes away, right? So that in other ways is also also a guideline and instruction from the Holy Father. Well, we hear it every day, don't we? Lifelong learning. Exactly. So... Just keep that in mind. Mm. As long as you're learning, and you can, you are using AI as well. There is no harm in it. There, I mean, we're not saying we're not giving a fatwa on that it's yeah. haram or halal or anything like that. Edict. It. You just have to be mustaqim. You have to choose the the wise and the the righteous path. And wherever you see that there's some sort of injustice being made, and, and God and God has given you that ability to sense. When you're doing something wrong, or when you, yes. God gives you that sensation or that feeling, you immediately feel it. So just make that decision for yourself, and make sure that you you um, you ask yourself whether you've done the right thing or not. Self reflect. Self reflect, and as long as you're doing that, then AI is something that it can't harm you in any shape or form. Inshallah. Thank you, Go thank you, me. brother Faiz. Um, as we uh, get to the end of the this segment. Um, I just wanted to summarize, uh, as AI continues to, to advance and as we uh, 
continue to learn. It's likely that discussion is going to evolve. Um, and we'll continue to explore and discuss and debate the ethical, the moral, the societal implications um, as we go through this journey. And so in summary, the impact of AI um, in addressing the existential threats to humanity um, is multifaceted. While AI has the potential of greatly assisting in tackling these threats, it's also it also presents certain ethical, safety, security, uh, socio-economic challenges that we you know dis- some, we discussed some of those today, and they have to be carefully managed. The responsible development and deployment of AI, uh, along with effective governance and regulation will play a pivotal part, and we talked about this at length today, uh, in determining whether AI can be a force for positive change in in addressing these existential threats. So finally, uh, Mihir, I, I want to say a heartfelt thanks for attending the show. Um, as always. Uh, as always, and you're a, a fountain of, of knowledge. Mm. Um I think you literally stunned us the last time we talked about uh, climate change. And no, no, no. You, you, you stunned Brother Adil. You scared the hell out of me. <laughs> so a- any final words uh, from yourself, Mahir? Well, first of all, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to speak. I'm, I'm surrounded by really learned people and I'm, I really like, like the interaction and, and the stimulation you guys give me. So it's really good that we can have this conversation. I hope we have had more conversation like this because yes, um, AI is only just gonna, it's only just kicking off. We're going through sort of steps of innovation as we go for the next few years. Uh, look out, and there will be more in the pipeline. We yeah. do need to keep an eye on it. Don't, as I said, don't put blind blind faith in it. Mm-hmm. Critique and critical thinking is essential. But great, great conversation, really lively, and um, good to catch up and we'll meet again. Wonderful. wonderful wonderful thank you so much it was it thank was you. a great pleasure and i think we need to invite me here to the studio as well yeah. oh definitely that, definitely. Would be, that would be good make sure you <laughs> call me on that day yes <laughs> yeah, yeah make sure i'm here as well <laughs> thank I would you love to meet for, you in person for taking time out may peace be with you have a fantastic weekend well, thank you very much stay safe thank you bye-bye thanks bye you're listening to saturday morning live that was me um our our uh, our expert um guest um, who uh, I hope you learned from because we certainly did in the studio. And uh, as Mihir said, this is a conversation that's going to be ongoing. Um, and uh, as long as Brother Radler with us, he will be producing some of these fantastic shows. Um, going on to our final segment of uh, this morning, I mean, we've only got like five, six minutes odd left. Um, uh, Brother Adil, uh, Baba Razim just uh, got out. Um, the <laughs> captain of Pakistan. Um, please don't know, cry. Just please, <laughs> please. You know, yeah. It's it's just, we're, we're live. Okay. Just hold it back for six. <laughs> just hold it back. You yeah. got six <laughs> minutes, and then you can just tell us all about it. I'm sure you will realise we are we are on to we I'm are on shocked, to guys, <laughs> of, of the of the lack of, uh, of interest in what's going on in the World Cup. Honestly, guys, no, come on. No, let's we'll just bring up football, shall we? No, no, no. Let's bring up England I, versus Australia. I, yeah, yeah, come on. No, 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 no. It's 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 no. look. You know, at least it is half century, which is great. Okay, right? look, it is a World Cup, so we're going to be talking about sports. So as but you know, the, thing is the, the score is 157 for three yeah. in 31 overs. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a cricket expert or pundit, but I think that's pretty low it is coming from yeah, yeah, a nation for, for, like for, Pakistan. For, so, the, so the run rate is still over five. And what you tend to see is the last sort of uh, 10 overs. 
they ramp up and they've got some big hitters as well. So let's wait and see. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but but my, Pakistani team is <clears throat> this team is more heavy bowlers. Indians are the batsmen. They are heavy batsmen. Yeah, we have. I haven't seen that to be honest. They've got good batters. I've seen good batting lineup. Yeah. Bowlers. Well, I know that's not what really I'm seen. No bowlers, Pakistan. I've not seen. Who Pakistan? Yeah, I've not seen Come in on. this in this World Cup. I've not really seen them deliver. Well, they haven't. They mm. haven't shown their form. Mm. But they, you know, as a, as a matter of speaking in in respect of their performances generally, they're more of a bowling nation at the moment. Right. But what's uh, what I've also heard is that the T20 has actually changed the way um, um, the teams actually. The one day is played. The, the scores are much higher now. I mean, it was very rare to have anybody hitting 300, 350. Now you're seeing consistently they're going over 275, 300. Um, so I would expect a good score for me would be if they, if Pakistan reached 300. I think it's a decent score. You think that's instantly. possible in another 20 overs? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? I think so. I think so. Okay. So uh, but let's again? see. 300. So yeah, yeah. So no, I think they'll go beyond three. Did you did you just zone out there? Kimi? Yeah, I did zone out there for a second. <laughs> no, you know why I zoned out? Because I was just looking up the ICC World Cup table, and you know one country I always feel sorry for is New Zealand because there's always at the, they're always at the top throughout all the way to the semis and even to the final, and then nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, they always. I, at the moment, the last yeah. New Zealand are at the top. Yeah, um, South Africa are second. India, Pakistan um, uh, are third and fourth respectively because of run rate. Um, England is sitting at number five because of run rate, and England needs to, and, and not just because of run rate, they've uh, they've only played two and they've lost one. And uh, you know, come on England, come on England. Talk about come on say. England. Okay. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned uh, football. All right, fellas, calm down. Let's talk about. Well, Formula what would you like me to say? Let's come on, Pakistan. <laughs> like that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. Let's I need a visa to go there. All right, <laughs> <laughs> and that just kills the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about Formula One. We've got three minutes left. So so obviously Max Verstappen has won the World Championship. What a boring, what a boring F1 you know, season. Uh, credit this year. should be given where it's due. They've got a very fast car, and he's a good driver. If you compare it to Sergio Perez, I mean, what's going on with him? So you know, it is also the car, but also the driver as well. To, to uh, you know what, I'm looking forward to ne- the next season. You'll see. I mean, McLaren. Wow. What an amazing turnaround they've had since do, the middle do, of the do, season. Where, where do you think our man's going, Lewis? He's not going to be. He's not going to stay at Merck. No, no. He's already um, yeah. uh, twenty twenty five. He's yes. going to be there still twenty twenty five, and he may decide to go a year contract, maybe with Ferrari. I don't know. I'm but disappointed just with Ferrari. I was hoping this season Ferrari would have come up with. I mean, I think what Sainz got one. He's got one one win. Mm-hmm. That's it. The podium. Yeah, which was and, which and was in. Uh, I was it? thinking, okay, in Verstappen Qatar. will have you know there'll be Perez, there will be uh, Leclerc, Science, you know there'll yeah. be some. But you know this is a mixed field now. So McLaren are there. Um, I would say Mercedes what's, have what's got. What's the a young little... British guy? Um, Lando, Lando Norris, and the other guy, the other, the younger one. He's younger than him as well. Oh, um, Piastri. Oscar Piastri is the Australian. So he's um, he's the other teammate from. So he's the one you know to watch as Who's well. Who's in Mercedes? Russell. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So there was 
There was I don't know if you watched the last one. They had a bit of a clash. So Lewis and yeah. Russell had a bit of a clash. Uh, some learnings, but I think what you've got to understand is that all of the investment into the car is now going into next season. That's right. Mm, that's so right. whatever's yeah. happened now, you're not going to see much of a change. No, no. The only battle now is whether Lewis is going to get the number two spot or uh, Sergio Perez is going to continue. So let's I, see. I, I, I hope Perez gets it. I, I, as much as I would love. Why though? Because Why? because you know what, Perez mm. Perez is a good driver. Bichara. And he's right. he and, and and he he has to play second fiddle it's to like Verstappen. Well, the thing I don't think he's good enough. Oh I come on, Paris, don't say I that. do not believe he is good enough. We've got thirty seconds to go. <laughs> While you believe that, um, we're going to take leave tell from us, you. Tell us next week. We're going to thank our we're going to thank our, our our guest, special guest Mihir, for taking time out and spending some time with us and sharing his insight into our special topic of the day. I want to thank Brother Faiz. I want to thank Brother Adil as always. Uh, for joining us I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to us please remember us in your prayers please forgive any shortcomings until we meet again may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all